Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Father, we thank you, Lord, for making this possible, and we thank you, Lord, for anointing us and anointing our eyes and ears to understand these things. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to continue today with Crucified Life Brings Purity, number seven. And uh, I'm going to share a revelation from Eve Brast on 8-17-22. We called it, Father chastens every son that he receives. Amen. She said, I had a vision of an angel in some brethren's house. His name was Tobias, and it was spoken. This name means God is good. He had ear-length, dark brown hair, and was dressed similar to the UBM angel Baruch in a sleeveless, knee-length tunic with a brown leather belt and braided headband that tied in the back. He wore leather sandals that crisscrossed up his calves and tied at the top. He held a long, stout, gray metallic rod that was octagonal around in shape uh, in his left hand, and he cradled a leather-bound book in the crook of his right arm to uh, record acts of obedience and progresses. His eyebrows were furrowed, but not deeply as Baruch's. Uh, my attention was brought in closer to the rod that I saw the word love engraved around near the top. He looked a little intimidating, but actually more personable and engaging. And as I was uh, wondering what Tobias's purpose was there, and especially about the curious rod he was holding, uh, then he spoke to me a message. Quote, I am a buffeting angel. Keep your hearts pure. Continue to rid yourselves of all that defiles. Strive for unadulterated obedience to God's word and surrender yourselves to your Father's altar of sacrifice and things will go well with you. Otherwise, I am assigned to coordinate your father's chastenings. But always remember that our God and your loving Father chastens every son that he receives. For so my name testifies to God's goodness. He loves you very much. Um, here's the scripture reference for that. Hebrews twelve four through 11. 
In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you proved, reproved by him. For the Lord dis- disciplines the ones he loves, and chastens every son whom he receives. Unquote. It is for discipline that you have, en- have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had uh, earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Amen. And here's a confirmation dream here. Um, We called it the Rod of Correction, and it's anonymous. 9.15.22 9.15.22 I believe that this person is representing the corporate body of God's elect. I believe Father gave this dream to confirm dreams, uh, Eve's vision of the buffeting angel. And I dreamed I was in a well-lit room, they said, that had uh, white walls with a uh, wood door and trim. Uh, representing Jesus, the narrow door of the cross. Uh, yep, and um, I say that the white walls represent separation or sanctification, without which no man shall see the Lord. And the well-lit room represents discernment of truth. And the narrow door or cross conforms us to his image. Amen. I was screaming for help to get out, (laughs) out of the crucifixion, right? Yes, she said, we pray and complain to the Lord to get out from under the pain of our cross, but not until we repent. We will be set free. Our, uh, Our flesh doesn't like being crucified or being burnt up in the fiery trials. The sooner we stop running from our cross and let it do its work, the quicker we will come into the image of Jesus. And uh, then this man with some kind of authority came into the room and was going to beat me with a thick, solid, three-inch diameter piece of metal uh, representing those the Father uses to administer the rod of correction, I believe. In Proverbs 23 and 13, Withhold not the correction from the child, for if thou beat him with the rod, he will not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from Sheol. Remember that, parents. I was fearfully uh, of the 
pain of being beaten and uh, said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I believe this represents repentance. And the Lord had recently permitted the enemy to use pain and inflammation in my joints, she said, to get my attention about criticism, judgment, and unforgiveness. Thank you, Father, for, for your mercy and grace to teach me forgiveness, she said. Amen. And I was then surprised that the man didn't beat me as he turned to walk away. Well, when we repent, we'll find mercy. Amen. And that was the end of the dream. I asked for verses by faith at random for the dream and received uh, Isaiah 60 and 14. In context, 10 and 14. My finger was on despised in verse 14. Use Isaiah 60 and 10. And foreigners shall build up thy walls, and their kings shall minister unto thee. For in my wrath I smote thee, and in my favor have I had mercy on thee. And 14. And the sons of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee, and all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet. Well, Notice that this comes after the Lord is done using them to crucify our flesh. They shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. So we will be holy after the crucifixion through our enemies is finished. Right? Amen. And also Ecclesiastes 4 and 4, uh, in context four through six. Then I saw all labor and every skillful work, that for this a man is envied of his neighbor, and this also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh, in other words, destroys himself. Better is a handful with quietness than two handfuls with labor and striving after wind. Well, we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling and not compare ourselves with others. And we all have different gifts and callings of the Lord. This dream really threw me for a loop at first, and I wasn't sure if the Lord was correcting me or encouraging me. It really made me examine my heart. So after examining my heart, I asked the Lord if this was a correction, and he gave me Luke 15 and 12. And my finger was on the word, thy substance. This is in context um, 11 through 32. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of thy substance that falleth to me. She said, When I first read this, I thought for a moment and said, This isn't me, but it used to be me. The father welcomed me back with open arms and forgave me when I repented. Thank you, Father, for your love, grace, mercy, long-suffering, and forgiveness. Amen. Amen. Luke 15, 
11 through 32. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of thy substance that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there he wasted his substance with riotous living. Well, we're running a race to finish the crucified life. There is no time to waste feeding the flesh here. Um, she said, I took the Lord's salvation that he had given to me for granted. Jesus is salvation when we abide in him. Amen. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that country, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, but no man gave unto him. Let me say, uh, wasting time feeding the flesh will cause us to miss out on the high calling of God. Uh, and for some, ultimately, totally miss out. But when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Well, now he must regain time lost or fall behind in the race, right? Uh, Ephesians 5 and 16 says, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. See, we have no time to uh, waste on the world. Verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was yet afar off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Well, still, the time was useful for humbling, right? Amen. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and make merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Well, you need to notice that living after the flesh is considered time dead, right? He called it dead while he was running after the world and the things of the world. He was dead, okay? But when he returned and repented and confessed to his father, he was alive. 
So here's a, a vision of my cross and triumph given to Samuel M. And that was on 9-22. He said, I was lying down and thinking on the Lord. I was deliberately thinking and meditating on Him and wondering whether or not I would be closer to the Lord and trying to overcome my shortcomings and to really manifest Christ. I was sorrowful that I have so much to learn to really be like our Lord Jesus. Then I had a series of visions. I saw a very large cross appear before me. I knew it was a type of our Lord's because I felt it was the time period just before he was about to go up the hill and be crucified. This cross was like the Romans' crosses that they used for all the crucifixions. And I then knew that this cross was for me and was in my own timeline. I was in terror and had a deep feeling of being separate from everyone else. There was no one to call out to in the physical, and all I could see was myself and this very certain fate. The weather was dark and gloomy, and the enemy was accusing me in the background. Then I started to see scenes one after another, of the spitting, punches, whips, lashes, and horrendous pain that our Lord Jesus took. And each time I heard God say to me, Will you do this for me? And I was in shock. And I said, I don't know if I can bear the pain. The scenes then stopped. I then felt the Lord embrace me and say, If you didn't feel the pain, would you do this for me? I immediately said, Yes, of course. Then Jesus spoke deeply to, my, to the feelings and terror I felt about the journey to the crucifixion. He said, If you will do this without pain, why not with pain? I was convicted. Am I doing this just to appear to be taking up my cross, or am I truly going the whole extent and giving my all for Him? I then saw myself getting thrown down and about to be nailed to the cross. I was scared, and I was getting my feet nailed. Seriously, this was something of a pure nightmare of pain, but something truly gave me peace. I felt that even though it was painful, it was only for a moment, and then it would all be finished. After I felt the nails going into me, the scene changed to our current time. There were so many people there that I recognized, but we weren't communicating with each other. There were brethren from UBM, my friends who believe in Jesus, even people I've seen online who have a strong faith and walk in the Lord. 
and all of us were being led through streets towards a square. The crowds were violent and shouting vile words. They tried to shackle us and bind us, but nothing could hold us at all. All the chains just broke. They attacked us with everything, from spitting at us to throwing spears at us. The crowds were totally against who we were representing, and I had the sense that this was something to do with the persecution of our faith. We were all getting led together, but I felt it was an individual battle. In my mind, I didn't think to talk or to call out to the others with me, but instead just carry on with this journey. Strangely, and what eventually made sense later, was that none of the attacks hurt me or caused any pain. It was as if I knew it would hurt, but it did no damage nor afflicted any pain at all. And along the way, I felt that those in the crowds would just come over to our side and join us. It was sad to see them act that way, and I just wanted them to be with Jesus. I then felt that the crowds were separated from us and God and there were, and God and there was nothing more that could be done for them or the world in general. We got to the square and everyone was crying and in their own struggles I was at peace. It was as if no matter what would happen to me and all of us it wouldn't be a bother at all. And I remembered the scripture. It's not that I live, but Christ that lives in me. I was basically countering all that I saw and would have felt in these attacks with scripture, and nothing could harm me. Then the crowds were preparing for a final blow. I heard a loud voice say, Triumph! I knew that now was a time to celebrate and proclaim in full completeness of everything I am to rejoice, and I looked upward. Yes, we celebrate the victory even before the cross, or even before its completion. Right? We celebrate the victory. It's an act of faith. Amen. As soon as I did, an amazing fanfare broke out, like Psalm 150. Every instrument played with streamers and balloons and fireworks and everything you would have for a massive party all came down all over us. It was so amazing. I even felt as if the third heaven was right there with all of us joining and we all sang an amazing song. It was so joyous. There was a bright light that shone on all of us, like a giant spotlight, and nothing else around us could be seen as all the light was on us. I was then brought back to that cross that the Lord Jesus instructed me to carry. I was then shown myself getting put 
on the cross and reminded of the Lord Jesus saying, Embrace your cross. I was so pleased to finally piece things together. It's not us that lives, but Christ. We die to self. Take up your cross and follow him. Death cannot hold him. It is finished. Victory is his. I praise you, Father, for accepting all of us, and let us triumph with you now, no matter what. Glory to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. I agree. Uh, God is so awesome that he permits us to uh, take part in this awesome move of God. And this was given to Angelica Garza, 917-22. See my son in the mirror. Amen. I wanted to share what I believe the Lord spoke to me as I was struggling and praying. My struggle has been to overcome the guilt, shame, and condemnation of who I was. The enemy has repeatedly come into my dreams to destroy my confidence in being forgiven and righteous before God my faith. The emotions and feelings at times were so overwhelming. Well, um, justification because of what Jesus did is the foundation of our faith. And if we leave justification by faith, we lose the battle. It's the whole foundation. This has been a tough trial for me to overcome, deferring to my feeling to tell me who I am instead of the Word. The Lord has seemingly been silent, and I believe He wants me, and all of us, to only believe His Word, even if darkness is all we see. Yes, we, we must walk by faith and not by sight. We must see Jesus in the mirror by faith so that we can come into His image. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. The secret is to believe the good news, even before you see it manifested. Beholding Jesus in the mirror and accepting that you don't live anymore, He lives in you, right? Amen. She went on to say, I was reading Proverbs 1, 30-33. They would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way, and be filled with their own devices. For the backsliding of the simple shall slay them, and the careless ease of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell securely, and shall be quiet without fear of evil." I've been praying for God to give me the gift to submit to His Word and to hear Him, and at any cost. I have come to the point that I don't care what it costs me so that I can continue with Him. I prayed after reading verses 33, 
Father, please speak to my heart. This is what I believe he spoke. I asked if I should share and got a yes. It's probably a very obvious, simple message for many, but I believe it's the answer for every trial we face. Father said, quote, See my son in the mirror. No matter what you see, what you feel, know of a truth that my words are true. They are life, and they are powerful. The enemy is losing ground, so he is trying to entice you at your weakest point. Submit to the word of promise. Resist him, and he will be defeated in your life. The word tells you who you are. Believe me. Don't believe him. He is a liar. He seeks to destroy the image of Christ in you. Fight him. He will accuse you of who you were, but it's not who you are. He will tell you I am is not with you. He lies. I am with you. Even to the end of the world, hold fast to that which you have. Don't sell your birthright for one mess of meat. I love you. I will not give you up so easily as you think. I will fight for you. You are mine. Amen. So, how do we carry our cross? Hmm. The crucified life is probably one of the most hated and denied doctrines, and yet one of the most important doctrines if a person wants to bear fruit and walk in the steps of Jesus. This is uh, the death to self as we repent day by day that comes as we read the Word of God and realize what the will of God is for us. Repentance means to change your mind. And when we read and ingest the Word, the old man dies and the new man comes to life because the new man is the Word bearing fruit in our soul and it is the manifestation of Christ in us. And it says in Zechariah 13 and 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, says the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. And I will turn my hand upon the little ones. So Jesus quoted this in Matthew 26, speaking about himself being the shepherd, and the scattering of his disciples being at least the beginning of God turning his hand upon the little ones. And it sounds very much like the Lord is out to kill us all. <laughs> well, the Lord Jesus was the first, the example, the sacrifice, and without him nothing else would be possible. He made it possible for us to die. Is God really out to kill us all, to turn his hand upon the little ones? Just as he turned the sword against his son? God took credit for crucifying Jesus Christ. He used wicked men to do it. But now, he says, he is turning his hand upon the little ones too. 
So what is it all about um, that has to that we have to go to death? That has to be crucified. Well, Galatians five and seventeen, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are contrary the one to the other, that you may not do the things that you would. So going against our own will is this cross. It's always that way. When we discover God's will in His Word, to obey it is death to the old man. If you don't feed the old man by serving him, he dies, right? So there's a war going on because the flesh and the spirit are enemies. The flesh represents the old man and must die. 1 Corinthians 15 and 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So yes, the Lord's hand is against the old man to put him to death. It doesn't necessarily mean the death of the body. It means the death of the flesh, which, of course, includes the mind of the flesh and speaks of the unregenerate soul of man. We're told that the flesh is contrary to God's way and His will. And Romans 8 and 7 says, Because the mind of the flesh is enmity against God, it's the enemy of God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. In verse 8, And they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So, the mind of the lower nature, the mind of the fallen man, the mind of the old man, is the enemy of God. And what we have to do is cooperate with God in this process of the crucifixion of the old man. Our Lord Jesus gave us a perfect example of that in John 10 and 17. Therefore doth the Father love me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. So does the Father love all those who are willing to lay down their life? Of course he does. Jesus said the Father loves those who obey the Son. John 14 and 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself unto him. And verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come unto him and make our abode with him. We will come unto him and make our abode with him. So the Father and Son will live in the one who keeps his commandments. You say, you're talking works, David. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm talking the works of God. We are able to keep His commandments when we believe the the gospel that we don't live anymore. Christ lives in us. That's a good confession. Of course, obeying the Son is obeying the Word, and obeying the Son is laying down your life to take up His life. 
The Father loves Jesus because He laid down His life so that He might take it again. John 10 and 18 says, No one taketh it away from me. So Jesus is our example. He wants us to be willing to take up His life. No one else can take the life of the self, the old man, from us. Either people can kill you, uh, but they can't take that life, that self-life, from you. We have to give that up, just as Jesus did. John 10 and 18, No one taketh it away from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power. And literally the word here is exousia, meaning authority. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. And uh, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it again, he says. So we have authority. When we were baptized, we uh, reckoned ourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God, as in Romans 6.11. And we reckoned that the old man was dead so that we were crucified with Christ, and we don't live anymore. It's now Christ who lives in us. We received authority to lay down that old life, and we can say no to self. We can say no to the devil. We received authority And likewise, anybody who loses their life will gain their life. If we lay it down, we have authority to take it up. Jesus was our example. And he cooperated with this process. He said, I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment received I from my Father. And of course, we have received the same commandment, and we do have power because of what Jesus did at the cross. We have power or authority, which is the correct word here, dunamis. This authority is the right to use power. So we use God's power to do this. He has already accomplished this through the cross of Christ. We use God's power to lay down the old life and to take up the new. Whether we will or not is a decision we have to make individually. Not everyone will be a disciple of Jesus Christ. There are many Christians, but few are disciples. A disciple is a learner and a follower. They study the Master to walk in His steps. And for many are called, but few are chosen, Matthew 22 and 14. So although we have this command of the Lord to lay down our life, he said that it's quite conditional upon us. Some people think it's all over. Well, it is by faith. We see the end from the beginning. But we have to cooperate with God in the process of laying down our self-life to arrive at that end and that fruit. It's all about denying self in uh, Matthew 16 and 24. 
Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Follow me indicates that this person is a disciple, which is a learner and a follower. Denying self and taking up the cross are synonymous. We're not permitting self to live through this body. We deny self. We take up our cross and follow Him. And of course, that is to the death of self. Matthew 16 and 25, For whosoever would save his life shall lose it. Uh, many seek to save the life of self. They seek to justify self. And when they do, they're giving up the opportunity to have the life of Christ and bear fruit. Verse 25 says, For whosoever would save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Notice there's conditions in Jesus' words. Many people would say it's all unconditional. You just accept Jesus, step over the line, and it's over. No, no, you have to cooperate in a life of faith. He that believeth uh, shall come into this. And he that doubteth shall not. And he that ignores all the scriptures in order to just accept Jesus, which is not in the Bible, um, will miss out. The word used here for life is suke. And it's talking about your soul life or self we lay down the old self in order to take up the new. We lay down our old soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions in order to take up Jesus' mind, will, and emotions. This is our cross. We have this opportunity to advance in this every day. And if we lay down our life to have the life of Christ, this is a condition and it should make many people tremble because this is a condition that's given to all Christians. Those who don't bear fruit in this area of losing our old life will not have eternal life. It doesn't matter what they have by faith. It matters what they manifest before they leave this life because Jesus said that would be 30, 60, and 100 fold. There are many who uh, either lost their 30-fold or never attained to their 30-fold because they didn't accept all of the gospel. We do not have to reach a 100-fold to be accepted, for we're justified by faith. We're accounted righteous by our faith. So those who walk by faith will receive power from God to walk the crucified life, and they will love. They will embrace the cross. They will embrace death to self. For what shall a man be profited if he shall gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Verse 26. And that's what many are doing. They're seeking to hold on to the world while they give up the most important thing they're here for. Again, the word suke is um, translated here as life, but 
there's still another way it's translated, Luke 9 and 24, for whosoever would save his life, suke, shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life, suke, for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose or forfeit his own self? Suke. Hmm. And in another gospel, it says his own soul. Right? Suke. So that's the same word, suke, translated as life, soul, and own self. It's a person's mind, will, and emotions. Being saved is being saved in a person's mind, will, and emotions. And circumstances, I might add, because you're not under the curse. Because you're walking after the Savior, you're putting your faith in Him that He bore the curse, right? He bore the curse of the old life upon Himself, and we don't have it anymore. And we have to consider it done. We will have his life if we're willing to give up our mind, our will, and our emotions for his. The renewed mind of Christ comes from submitting to the word of God. Besides just knowing the word and submitting to it, there are some very important things that we can do to cooperate with God in bringing this to pass. 1 Peter 2.19 says, For this is acceptable. If for conscience towards God, a man endures griefs, suffering wrongfully. Well, we find it hard to accept uh, uh, suffering wrongfully. Uh, Self-justification kind of rises up in us. But that's got to die too, right? And obviously, we suffer wrongfully at the hands of the world, at the hands of the wicked, at the hands of the cursed, we suffer wrongfully, and if we do it because of conscience towards God, this is okay with Him, he said. Verse 20, For what glory is it if when you sin and are buffeted for it, you, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you shall take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. And the word acceptable here is actually the word grace. It's grace with God. That's right. And when we do what we're called to do, what the Scripture commands us to do, and we suffer for it, this is grace with God. The Lord says, My grace is sufficient for thee. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. So we're called to a cross, and we're going to suffer if we do what's right. Second Timothy 3 and 12 says, Yea, and all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. God guarantees it. The flesh wants to avoid this at any cost, but the flesh is our enemy. It's in league with the underworld. Amen. The world is going to come against us if we bear our cross, if we're willing to accept exactly what the Word of God says, and if we're willing to submit in circumstances 
to God's commands, we're going to suffer death to self. Is you're going against human nature when you obey God's word. And if you don't obey human nature, it dies. If you obey God, it dies. And it's good because it's the only way to bear fruit. First Peter 2 and 21 says, For hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. 22. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. 23. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again, and when he suffered, threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. So when Jesus was reviled or threatened, he turned the other cheek. He resisted not the evil, Matthew 5 and 39. He knew that this was God's method to bring him to his cross, and the next two verses speak of exactly that. 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his body upon the tree, that we, having died unto sins, might live unto righteousness, and by whose stripes ye were healed. So, by not defending self, we come to our cross. Just as when Jesus refused to defend himself, he came to to his cross. And there is a well-known chapter in Isaiah concerning the cross and, and what Jesus bore there. Isaiah 53, verse 7 says, He was oppressed, yet when he was afflicted, he opened not his mouth as a lamb that is led to slaughter, and as a sheep that before its shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He knew that this was the reason he came here to die for us. Amen. So we know this is true. When he was before Pilate and when he was before Herod, he didn't defend himself. He knew that this was the Father's will for him to go to the cross. So he denied himself and went to the cross. He could have said quite a few things that probably would have served to defend him, but he didn't. And when we defend self, we're proving that we want to save this life rather than lose this life. Matthew 16 and 25 says, for whosoever would save his life shall lose it. And many people during the coming tribulation, for instance, will seek to save their life, but they're going to lose it anyway, because in the great and terrible day of the Lord, those who have proven themselves to be the harlot are going to be destroyed by the beast. That is that year after the seven years when judgment calls, falls upon those who have persecuted the saints and those who have denied the life of Christ. They could have accepted their cross during the tribulation. They could have accepted their deliverance from this world by the crucifixion of self. But since they cast it down, they will lose everything 
during the great and terrible day of the Lord. We don't have any choice about losing our life. It's lose it now or lose it later. The point is, if we lose it now, we don't have to endure the day of the Lord or the hell of fire forever. Jesus was our example here because he opened not his mouth and did not defend self. He went to the cross. We have many people around us whose only purpose in this life is to help us to go to this cross. This is God creating His sons. He uses every vessel, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor, for that purpose. He said He would turn His hand upon the little ones. Well, who was it that came against the little ones, and who comes against them today? It is the wicked around us. They do us a favor. However, we still have to cooperate with God. We he gave us a decision to make, either lose our life to gain our life or save our life and lose our life. We are here to lose our life, our suke, our fallen, soulish life. Not every Christian will die, but every Christian will lose their life or they won't be Christian. There's no eternal life without the cross. And no cross, no crown. People are deceived by the devil into thinking that they can justify themselves, that they can defend themselves in the presence of the Word of God. Instead of embracing the truth there and letting it put to death their old life, Jesus' commands demand that we do this. But we have to make that decision ourselves as he said, as he showed us. So God's um, working all things together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his commandments and so on and so forth. Uh, we have a purpose here, and it's not just to sit on a pew and wait for Jesus to cause us to fly away. Uh there are many people because of that foolish doctrine that are not preparing for the day of the coming of the Lord. And uh, so they think all they have to do is sit there. They've made the decision. They've confessed him to, uh, one time. Uh, but we have to confess him every day. Confess means to speak the same as. Every day we have to confess him. He that endureth to the end shall be saved, Jesus said. It's not those that start out with you. It's those that end up with you. Look at the parable of the sower. There were four different types of people there that were tested. One of the four endured to the end to bear the fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. Just one out of four. That means there's uh, at least three backsliders for every one that makes it that's out there. And it's all for the same reasons that are written there in the parable of the sower. The love of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and whatever ever things that choke the seed and makes it unfruitful 
Many people come and fall away. Many come and fall away. Don't be one of them. Be willing daily. It doesn't matter what people do around you or what the preacher preaches or anything else. It matters that you submit to the Word of God. It is your baptism. It is the Word of God that puts to death your old life. Your baptism is manifested in daily accepting the Word and denying yourself so that the Word recreates in you Jesus Christ. No one hath ascended into heaven, but he that descended out of heaven. You understand? The Lord is looking for Jesus in the earth. Christ in you, the only hope of glory. Amen? So, Father, we thank you so much for this awesome opportunity that you have given unto us. Uh, so much of the world will not even enter through this, these doors. And we thank you so much, Father, that Jesus is the door and uh, that he has opened it unto us who are drawn unto him. And we have an opportunity. We've been called. Will we be elect? Elect means electos, electos, and it means chosen. He said many are called, but few are chosen. Amen. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. We should never, ever pass up a day of, of not running this race. Okay, thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Amen. Okay, well, Father, we ask you to bless Michael Hare and the brethren that follow him. And uh, we ask you in Jesus' name that they all be renewed in their minds. And transformed, as your word says. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, well, Father, we ask you to bless Michael Hare and the brethren that follow him. And uh, we ask you in Jesus' name that they all be renewed in their minds. And transformed, as your word says. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, saints. God bless you and keep you. Bye-bye. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, we received eternal life from you. We received your nature. It has made us one with you. It has made us what you have declared that we are in Christ. You told us that uh, we're part of the the vine were part of the branch because we are yours and you are ours. And I praise you, Father. You are a fountain within me, a fountain of perfect health, of life. And that life stream fills us with health and joy because our body is your home, one of the holy of holies where you're not hidden, but you're visible. It is a home of health, the home of love, and you have made him, our Lord Jesus, our wisdom. And we are beginning to understand and to use this revelation knowledge. And I praise you, Father, for letting us see who we are in Christ. 
And I praise you and I glorify you and I ask for your anointing today to get this word across as what we are in Christ. In Jesus' name. And I thank you for it. Glory be to God. Well, folks, that's what I want to talk about today. And I'm going to use some uh, quotes by E.W. Kenyon and myself and John G. Lake. And we're just going to try to get through this to find who we are in Christ. You know, I was surprised to find that the expression in Christ, in whom and in him occurs more than 130 times in the New Testament. And this is the heart of the revelation of redemption given to Paul. Now, here's the secret of faith. It's the faith that conquers, faith that moves them out. Here it is. Here's the secret of the Spirit's guiding us into all reality. Our heart craves that intimacy with the Lord Jesus and with the Father. And now this craving can be satisfied. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, In whom we have our redemption through his blood, the remission of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Folks, it's not a beggarly redemption, but it is a real liberty in Christ that we have right now. It is a redemption by the God who could say, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven and cause the whole heavens to leap into being in a single instance. It is omnipotence beyond human reason. And this is where philosophy has never left the footprint. Because our redemption is a miracle of his grace. It is according to the riches of his grace. It's a present tense work. And it was brought about through his blood. And it is lavish. It is abundant. Our redemption is a perfect thing. When you know it and you enter into it and your heart grows accustomed to it, There's going to be an ability in your life that you have never known. Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 says, Who delivered us out of the authority of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have our redemption and the remission of our sins. Folks, you are delivered out of the authority of Satan. You're free. And it is in him that you have your redemption. You have been delivered out of Satan's dominion. You have been translated into the kingdom of the son of his love. And you are free from the dominion of Satan. And there's going to come a time when you're going to wake up to the fact that he can't put disease on you. He can't put pain. He can't put anguish in your body, anxiety in your mind. And the hour is going to come when you'll know that want and poverty are things of the past as far as, as you are concerned. And you'll shout amid the turbulence and the fear of other men. The Lord is my shepherd. I do not want. 
He makes me to lie down in plenty and fullness, and I am satisfied with him. That's going to be your cry. Folks, this redemption is real. Satan is defeated. Disease is outlawed. And want is banished. We are free, folks. John 8.36 says this. If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And that word indeed means actually real or reality. John 10.10, I came that they may have life and may have it abundantly. What is life? Life is the nature of God. You may have the Father's nature abundantly. You are in Christ, in the Father's presence. You are in the very realm of life. And this realm of life has in it the life that transcends reason. We have eternal life. We have God's very substance. Jesus said in uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, that's reality, and the life. He was unveiling his heart to us, showing what he can be to us in our daily life. He can be all that his heart of love desires to be to those whom he has redeemed. He can be reality to us. And how our hearts have often craved this. We want this. And he says he can fulfill every desire of our hearts. Galatians 5 and 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. And the the biggest danger of the believer is the possibility of his lapsing back into bondage after he has been made free. He leaves the realm of the spirit and faith and walks in the realm of the natural senses. As as sense reason gains his supremacy, he loses his joy in the Lord. Folks, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. And we're just now finding out what this can mean to us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, this new creation fact gives to you all what it means to Jesus and the Father, whether you know it or not. Paul's revelation is filled with new creation truth. And it's God's dream for you to enjoy the fullness of this new creation's privileges. He says the old things are passed away. Those old things of bondage, those old things of fear and doubt, want, sickness, weakness, and failure, they're gone. They're out the window. And you, some of you have to write down, well, that ain't possible. But it is. The new creation is just like the master. He is its head. He is the vine. You are the branch. As he is, so are you. John 15, 1 through 7. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. 
I am the vine. Ye are the branches. Now, folks, as long as you deal in doubts and fears, as long as you sit in judgment on yourself, you ain't never going to arrive. You'll never enjoy these things. But if you will act on the word, act on it as you would act on the letter from some friend of yours, you're going to arrive at this place. And when you read, all things have become new, start thinking of yourself as living in this new realm. You have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, and you have perfect fellowship with him now. And if we would only understand this wealth that belongs to us in this new relationship, and then dare to act upon it, in our part. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And if you are his workmanship, you're satisfied by him. He's pleased with you. Man, believe it. Folks, we've preached condemnation and sin so long that we don't know how to preach righteousness and to tell the people what they are in Christ. And when somebody does tell them, they feel that it's some kind of a false teaching. And they feel that anything is false teaching that doesn't honor sin and lift it up into the same place as Christ. You are God's new man. God's word declares that he brought into being the new man. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 15 having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that he might create in himself, of the two, one new man, so making peace. And then in Ephesians 4 and 24, and put on the new man, that after God hath been created in righteousness and holiness of truth, Folks, a new creation over but one Lord. Jesus is the Lord of the new creation. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 gives us a, a real graphic statement of facts as it says this. As therefore ye receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in your faith, even as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Woo, glory to God. That's a big, glorious truth right there. No longer are you a weakling. His strength is your strength. We are so strong that we are supposed to be thanking God for everything, all the time. And when we stop thanking God for all the things that he's done for us, we deteriorate spiritually. Psalms 27 and 1. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then Psalms 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You swing free from that old prison house of bondage and fear and want of hunger and cold, and you're out in the freedom 
of God. Glory to be to God. Hebrews 7.25, this should be Jesus' present attitude towards you. Listen to this. Wherefore also he is able to save to the uttermost them that draw near unto God through him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. Did you hear that? He ever lives to make intercession for you. He's seated at the Father's right hand. And you need to say it over and over. He ever lives for me. He ever lives for me. And just as the wife lives for the man whom she loves, so in a greater measure, the Lord Jesus lives for you. He has only one business, that of living for you. Of all the wealth that is known to the human heart, there is nothing that equals this, that Jesus declares through the Apostle Paul that we are his righteousness. Did you hear that? We are his righteousness. Can you imagine how precious we must be to the Lord Jesus? He once became our righteousness. He once declared us righteous by his resurrection from the dead. Now he goes beyond that declaration and makes that a reality. Second Corinthians, uh, second Corinthians chapter five and verse 21. Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We, us, have become the righteousness of God in him. Then 1 Corinthians 1 and 30 says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who was made unto us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Now, note these three facts, these three blessed facts. Number one, He becomes our righteousness, Romans 3 and 26. For the showing, I say, of his righteousness at this present season, that he he might himself be just and the justifier of him that hath faith in Jesus. Number two, he is made righteous for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who was made unto us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Number three, we have become the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse 21. Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. That life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith. The faith which is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He said he loved me. He gave himself up for me. Well, what kind of love is revealed here? He not only redeemed me and sanctified me, But now before heaven, he says, I am that man's redemption. I am that man's sanctification. 
Then, then I could hear his voice rise to the notes of utter triumph when he shouts, I am his righteousness and his wisdom. Folks, this is all his works. It ain't of our works, lest he should say I had a share in it. You're repenting, you're crying and weeping, didn't have nothing to do with your righteousness or your redemption. You stand complete in him in all the fullness of his great matchless life. And the climax of the revelation of our redemption is in Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Folks, you are God's elect. Jesus and the Father have elected you, and now he says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of my own son or my daughter? There's only one person of any standing before the Supreme Court who can lay anything to your charge, and that's Jesus, and he ain't going to do it. Verse 34, Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of the God, who also makes intercession for us. Now, can you see how much you're worth in your position? Can't you see the riches of the glory of your inheritance in Christ? Folks, you are in him. All that he planned in Jesus is a heart reality now. And there ain't no condemnation for you. There's no judgment for you. There is no fear of death for you. Why? Because death is simply swinging the doors open for you to march in triumph into the presence of your Father. Glory to God. And this next verse ought to grip your heart. First John chapter 4 and verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. In Christ, we have received eternal life, the nature of our Father. And that nature is what? It's love. That love is perfect. Our human love is imperfect. His love is agape, the love that makes life beautiful. Now, you may not perfectly understand or perfectly enter into it, but it is, his, it is his perfect love, and it's all yours now. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12 says, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of the body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. We are so one with him, that we are all called Christ. The church is called the Christ ones. He's the vine. We are the branch. John 15 and 5. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abides in me. That's a condition. And I in him. The same bears much fruit. That's the fruit of Christ. And as the branch is to the vine. So are you to the heart of Jesus. You are utterly one with him. And all this time you've been thinking about your sin, about your weaknesses and your failings. Listen, 
Hear God whisper to your heart right now from Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. If you are born again, folks, you are in Christ. You are a conqueror. You are free from condemnation. And you are the righteousness of God in him. You are the fullness of God in him. You are complete in him. The wealth of his glory, the wealth of his riches have never been sounded. You are righteous. There is no sin consciousness for you. There is no inferiority complex for you because you are now in Christ. And that is the very righteousness of God. And you can use that name of Jesus without fear. You can do just like Peter did in Acts chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6. And it says this, And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have, that give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. You can swing free, folks. John chapter 16, 23 and 24. If ye shall ask anything of the Father, he will give it to you in my name. And John 15 and 7 is yours now too. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatsoever you will, and it shall be done unto you. Folks, you are in him. He is in you. His word abides in you. You are his righteousness. You are his life. And you can do his work right now. John 14, 12 through 14 says this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works then these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. So you take your place, and you use the name to see heal the sick. Folks, Jesus' death was not in vain. His suffering was not in vain. You stand complete in his completeness, filled with his fullness. You are filled with his holiness, and his grace is yours. And Hebrews chapter 4, and verses 14 and 16, these can become a reality in you. It says, having then a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Then that word here is not profession, but it's confession. Christianity, folks, is called the great confession. Your confession is what you are in Christ. And all that I've said to you is a reality. All you need to do is hold fast to it. Now, the enemy will try to make you deny your confession. 
He's going to try to make you confess anything other than this. And he's going to try to make your confession weak and failed and want. He's going to try to make you confess those things. But you hold fast to your confession. And that comes right straight out of the word of God. My God does supply every need of mine. And you stand by that confession. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. And you make that declaration that he is the strength of your life. And you say it out loud to yourself and to the people around you if you want to until you get accustomed to hearing it. That's the best way to break those strongholds of doubt and unbelief in your mind is to confess it. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his body upon the tree that we, having died unto sins, might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Folks, you died unto sins with Christ on that cross, your old self-life. You arose to walk in righteousness in your spirit life, and by his stripes you are healed. And when Jesus arose from the dead, healing belong to you and all your brothers and sisters. Hold fast to your confession in the face of every assault of the enemy. You rebuke it in the name of Jesus, and he'll have to flee. You walk in the way of righteousness, which means acting and living as though the word was spoken to you by Jesus himself. That is the way of victory, folks. That is the way where you cast out demons and disease in the name of Jesus. Every disease that has afflicted a Christian could have been healed if there had been anyone who had dared to walk in righteousness for that believer, who would have dared to walk in the fullness of his privileges in Christ. That devil could have been driven out and healing could have been his. Hebrews chapter 4 and 15 and 16 says this, For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but one that hath been in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, draw near with boldness unto the throne of grace. You are invited to come now to the throne room and sit with the Master and with the Father. And you're to come boldly. Don't just come creeping in. Don't come in confessing your sin and lamenting your weakness and failures. Put on that new garment. Dress to fit and to appear before the throne of God. Because you are the sons and daughters of God Almighty without condemnation. And you're going to find mercy and grace to help in those times of these. And the problem of healing is a problem of the integrity of the word. A lot of people had never recognized it, but the word is the healer today. God in Christ wrought a perfect redemption. And in that redemption, there is perfect healing for every believer. 
but because of lack of knowledge of the word, Christians everywhere are sick. Psalms chapter 107 and verse 20 uh, illustrates this perfectly. He sends his word and heals them and delivers them from their destructions. Then John chapter 1 and verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John chapter 1 verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Folks, that's the word he sent. He had sent his spoken word through the prophets, and that living word was made flesh through Jesus. Now, he unveils the life-giving word in the Gospels and the epistles of Paul. John chapter 6 and verse 63 says this, It is the Spirit that giveth life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken unto you are spirit and are life. That's what it says. They are spirit and are life. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says it. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and quick to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. Folks, the word becomes a living thing only as we act upon it. The word, folks, is God speaking. It is always a present tense fact. And you might say that the word is always now, just as God is always now. The Word is a part of God Himself. God and His Word are one, just as you and your Word are one. Folks, the Word is the will of the Father. Just as Jesus, the Word made flesh, was the will of the Father during His earthly ministry. What God says is what God says will become. Had He not wanted it to be, folks, He wouldn't have said it. And you can depend upon his word always. You know, in the past, you have depended upon institutions and men. But you you understand that institutions are going to fall. Individuals may die. Nations are going to disintegrate. But God cannot deny himself. And behind the word is the integrity of God. Not only is his integrity behind the word, but his very throne is involved in his word. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 22 declares that Jesus is the surety of a new covenant. By so much also hath Jesus become the surety of a better covenant. That's what it says in Hebrews 7 22. He is back of every word from Matthew to Revelation. Every word was God-breathed. The throne upon which Jesus is seated is back of every word. Now let's talk about faith, hope, and mental ascent. Folks, there has to be a clear distinction in your mind between believing and mental ascent. 
Folks, believing the word is acting on the word. Mental assent is acknowledging the truthfulness of the word, the integrity of the word, but never acting on it. Mental assent is standing outside the bakery covering the cake in the window. It ain't possessing it. Hope is not faith, folks. It's not believing. Hope is always living sometime in the future. But faith is always present tense. It's right now. And it's not passive. Passivity lies quietly without action, without choice. It's inert. But believing is acting on the word. Believing the word is not only recognizing its truthfulness, but is taking it to be your very own right now. And to act on his word is to do his will and to act in his will. He is honored, folks, when we act on the word. He is dishonored by our mentally assenting to his truthfulness, by our hoping that it will become true sometime, and by our passivity that lies quietly rejoicing in the word, but has no part in it. He that believes has. Folks, if you have, if you believe, you have. His name is glorified by our acting on the word. The Father is glorified by our acting on the word. And if you remember what I said earlier, his throne is back of his word. His integrity is involved in it. John chapter 15 verse 7 said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatsoever ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit and so shall ye be my disciples. Folks, that is the fruit of the indwelling word, which has prompted prayers that are answered. And it's necessary that there be a continual confession of our redemption from Satan's dominion, and that he no longer rules us with condemnation, no fear of diseases either. We hold fast to that confession as our confession is Satan's defeat. That's our enemy's defeat is when we confess it with our mouth. Listen, us believers, we don't ask to be healed because we've already been healed. We don't ask to be made righteous because we have already been made righteous. We don't ask to be redeemed for our redemption is an absolute fact. And in the mind of the Father, We are perfectly healed and perfectly free from sin because he laid our diseases and our sins upon his son, Jesus. His son was made sin with our sins. He was made sick with our diseases. And in the mind of Christ, we are perfectly healed because he can remember when he was made sin with our sins, when he was made sick with our diseases. And he remembers when he put our sin and our diseases away. And in the mind of the Holy Spirit, we are absolutely free from both. For he remembers when Christ was made sin and when he was made sick. He remembers when he raised Jesus from the dead. Christ was free from our sin and our sicknesses. Both had been put away before his resurrection. The word declares that by his stripes we were healed. 
The whole problem is our recognition of the absolute truthfulness of that word. And it's not good taste to ask him to heal us, for he has already done it. And this truth will come a shock when you first see it. He declared that we are healed, therefore we are. And the only problem now is to get in perfect harmony with his word. If he declares that we are healed, then our part is to thank him for the work he's already accomplished and praise him for it. Glory be to God. And about the renewing of the mind, I feel I ought to introduce another subject right now, and that is the renewing of our mind. It is only the renewed mind that can grab a hold of these truths. Your spirit has been recreated, but not your mind. So it has received all of its knowledge through the senses, so it has to be renewed. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, And be not fashioned according to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that same truth is brought out in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Not by works done in righteousness, which we did ourselves, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, chapters, uh, verses 23 and 24. And that ye be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man that after God hath been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Glory to God. And then Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10 says, And have put on the new man that is being renewed unto knowledge after the image of him that created him. This renewing of the mind, folks, comes through meditation on the word of God and action on that word of God. And as soon as one is born again, he ought to be asking the Holy Spirit to come in and make his home in his body. He ought to be asking the Holy Spirit to fill him up. Luke chapter 11 and verse 13 shows us the Father's attitude Regarding that, Luke chapter 11 and verse 13 says, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And as surely as we ask him, so surely will the Spirit make his home in our bodies. The renewed mind sees that all there is to be done for its healing is to praise the Father for it. It says, my disease were laid on Christ and he put them away. I am healed. And I thank the Father that it is done. There still might be pain there. There still might be soreness there in evidence. That's only the testimony of the senses. And we refuse to listen to the witness of our senses. We only accept the word of God and we, we, we act upon it. And now surely as God sits on the throne, he'll make that word good in us. Glory to God. Now listen to me. We don't have to ask for power. For he who is the power is in us. We don't have to ask for wisdom. For Christ was made wisdom unto us. We don't have to ask for redemption. For he is our redemption. We don't have to ask for sanctification, for he is made unto us sanctification. 
And we don't have to ask for righteousness because he has made unto us righteousness. This faith life, folks, is the most beautiful thing in the world. And we have to step out of that old sense realm where we've lived in the past. We've always lived with old Thomas, didn't we? Remember what he said in John 20, 25? Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And then what did Jesus tell him? John chapter 20, verses 27 through 29. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, see my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and put it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. What Christ is telling us, we don't need the evidence of the senses to have us to believe. All we need to do is rest on what the Word of God says. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Folks, you are in the family. Everything that the Father has belongs to the children. You are one of them, and you have been blessed. Praise God. Now, I want to show you something here that you may not know. God meets man where he is. I want to tell you that most of the healings that were performed by the apostles and the early church were among men and women who had not yet become Christians. They were heathen, or they were Jews. Healing was God's method of advertising, God's method of revealing himself to the old natural mind. Jesus was an intrusion into the sense realm, and the church, the new creation, was in an invasion into the sense realm. But today, these old sense-knowledge men have invaded the church and they've taken it captive, folks. The sense realm is the realm of the natural man. That is, the man who believes only what he can hear, taste, smell, feel, or see. And God's intrusion into that realm in the person of his son as head of the church was a miraculous invasion. Mark chapter 16 Verses 16 through 21. That gives us evidence for this. He said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that disbelieves shall be condemned. And these signs shall accompany them that believe. Now our confession imprisons us or it sets us free. A strong confession coupled with a corresponding action on the word brings God on the scene. And when you got God on the scene, He is there. You hold fast to one's confession when all of your senses contradict that. It, that shows God that one has become established in the Word. A Satan-inspired confession is always dangerous, folks. Remember that. He's the one that brought that disease and put it on you. 
and your acknowledgement of the disease is like signing for a package that FedEx company left you. Satan then has the receipt for your disease and you have accepted it. What does it say? It says, surely he has borne our sickness and carried our diseases. That's God's receipt for your perfect healing. A positive confession dominates circumstances while a vacillating confession permits circumstances to govern one. Your confession is what God says about your disease. A negative confession will make the disease stronger. Then your confession heals or keeps you sick. You know, the confession of your lips ought to have your heart's full agreement with it. And as soon as a man believed, these signs were to accompany him. It says, in my name shall they cast out demons, they shall speak with new tongue, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. You know what that word believer means? It means a believing one. As soon as a man was born again, God planned that he ought to advertise the new creation by healing sick folk in the presence of the unsaved world. And Jesus' entire ministry was a combat with the demoniacal forces around him. And the same thing is true in the church today. All disease, all sickness, all pain, all trouble, all sin is a result of the satanic hatred of the human race. In my name, it says, they shall cast out demons. We're supposed to take Jesus' place. We're supposed to go out into the world and act for him. First John chapter 3 and verse 8 says, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Folks, and we are to act for him today. John 14 and 12 says, Greater works than these shall ye do, because I go unto the Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. He's not talking about prayer. He's talking about casting out demons. He's talking about healing the sick. He's talking about miracles. Whatsoever ye shall demand in my name. That word ask means demand. You are demanding, just like Peter did at that beautiful gate that morning when he said to that empty man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that man was instantly healed. And he wasn't a Christian. He He hadn't accepted Christ. And it is likely that the great multitudes who were healed, according to in Acts 5, were made up of unsaved people. The majority of the healings in the book of Acts were healings of sick people who had not yet become believers. Now you need to read carefully Acts chapter 5 and verses 12 through 16. Practically every one of these people were unsaved Jews. In Acts chapter 8 verses 8 through 10, the power of God is, is unveiled again. All these miracles performed in Jesus' name were upon, for the most part, an unsaved world. 
The church has missed its greatest method of advertising. God's method of advertising was through miracles. And divine healing has a large ministry with the unsaved today. You know, Christ was a miracle. Christianity is Christ living in us today. The incarnation and the new birth are are both of God. Both are miracles. Answered prayer is a miracle. When prayer does not produce miracles, it ain't nothing but a bunch of empty words. A miracle is God moving into the sense realm. So don't condemn yourself for your doubts. You need to cure them by getting acquainted with the Father. You know, confession always goes ahead of healing. Don't watch the symptoms. Watch the word. And be sure that your confession is bold and it's vigorous. Don't listen to people. Act only on the word of God. And be a doer of the word. Because it's God speaking. You are healed. And the word says you are. Don't listen to the senses. Give the word its place. Because God cannot lie. Well, glory be to God. Folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. And we'll see you again next time, God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. Oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will Shining rays of red and white, Jesus, I trust in you. O sacred heart, in you I find mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine, O Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus.